So in Matthew chapter 16, we begin with verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who were standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the true word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you for his words that he spoke while here. Thank you, Father, we have his words in the Bible. Thank you, Father, for what Jesus has done for us, because that changes everything. Thank you for the hope and the joy and the peace that it brings. Help us to hear your word, because these are your words for us. Open our minds and hearts, Father, to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So for Jesus, his future was tied to the cross. It's a hard word, but it's what he came here to do. He was tied to the cross not because his father commanded that he do this. What bound him to that cross was his care for you. You need rescue. You need forgiveness. And Jesus was going to do that for you and nothing was going to stop him because you cannot save yourself. Now Peter had just said correctly, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we hear in verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, one of the reasons I put in the hours in my Greek class <laughs> was for passages like this. And I notice that the Greek word here for must is actually a very, very strong word. It refers to being, to being bound to something, being tied to something. It means that Jesus was bound to this and that the events that were coming up were bound in heaven and on earth. And the four verbs show us what Jesus was bound to do. To go. To suffer. 
to be killed and to be raised. Now you might also remember that there was another time recorded in the Gospel of John where Jesus told his disciples, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, speaking of his own life here. So if you consider that text and today's text, you see that what was binding him to this upcoming series of events was his love for you and his determination to do what it would take to save you. That's what was binding him. Now, that was hard to hear. In verse 22, we hear, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, some of our English translations use different words. Maybe it's never, or God forbid it, or far be it from you. Whatever we say in English, looking in the Greek, the, P, the word that Peter uses here is the word for mercy. Because Peter wanted a different kind of mercy, a different way for Jesus. One that did not involve going and suffering and being killed. He wanted mercy for Jesus. He wanted Jesus to be able to stay. But he didn't understand yet that by doing that, he was actually rejecting the mercy of Christ for him. Here was Peter, thinking that he was using his voice again to say something that was as solid as a rock. Something that he would say that would be a foundation for the church of Christ to loose Jesus from any hardship and to bind Jesus to the mercy of God instead. But he could only see so much. Jesus was bound to go and to suffer and be killed and be raised. Peter didn't know it, but he was opposing what had already bound Jesus. Nothing was going to stop the crucifixion. Later on, Peter would understand. In verse 23, we hear, speaking of Christ, but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. So here, again, get behind me, or be gone, or away with you. It's the same Greek word, even though we use different English words for it. Jesus had used the same thing when he was out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil after he was baptized. Jesus had rebuked the devil, the tempter. This time Jesus was being attempted to avoid the cross. And he rebuked that temptation too. Earlier, it must have been very tempting to turn stones into loaves of bread and to rule the world to demonstrate his power for everyone to see. And it would be tempting now to avoid the cross. And instead, maybe to focus on all those wonderful things that was, were impressing people this whole time. Feeding the hungry, healing the ill, gaining, gathering thousands of followers. Maybe, even soon, leading a rebellion 
against the Roman occupiers and the temple leaders. Firmly, Jesus rejected the temptation, whether it came through the tempter himself or through Peter, his friend. Moments earlier, Peter had rightly said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And those words had been rock solid. Words which would be the foundation of the church on earth. But now, these words from Peter were a temptation to Jesus, a stumbling block, a hindrance. Just moments earlier, Peter had been asked to say, or to who, ask Peter who he says that Jesus is. And his answer, Jesus says, was not revealed to him by flesh and blood, but revealed to him by his Father in heaven. These words now reflected human wisdom instead of heavenly wisdom. And to be honest, I probably would have said the same thing. Because I'd want Jesus to stay. and Keep on doing all those things he'd been doing. In verse 24, we hear, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's that phrase, behind me, once again. He said it out in the wilderness. He had just said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, Jesus is using that same Greek word again, If anyone would come behind me or after me. The other times, this, had, this sounds, more, sounds more, more like a command or even a warning. This time, this sounds more like an invitation. Either way, get behind Jesus. The first time, Peter needed to follow Jesus and not follow his own wishes and certainly not to follow the devil's temptations. Now, this time, it was clear that Peter and the disciples and all of us, too, are called to follow Jesus, not to try to lead him. However it works, whether it's a warning to us or an invitation to us, we end up behind Jesus. So those words still stand, get behind him and follow him. Way back when Jesus had first called them to leave their fishing boats and follow him and he would make them fishers of men, they left their nets, and they followed him. That call is renewed here. And to be honest, we need it to be renewed for all of us every day. The disciples had gotten behind Jesus and had followed him to the south slope of Mount Hermon, and from there they would follow him as he would go to the cross and to the empty tomb and beyond. To get behind and follow Jesus is to deny oneself. Because we want to be in control. We want to be the one leading. Matthew used the same word a couple more times in his account of the life of Jesus. He used it once when Jesus tells Peter that he was going to deny Jesus three times. Then the words are used again when Peter actually does deny Jesus. And we see here that Peter was not denying his fear. Instead, he was denying his Savior. 
we might also be tempted to deny the cross. You have one right here in the front, which is good. There are churches that are saying, we need to take down the cross. It offends people. We don't want to do that. We might also sometimes be tempted to deny the cross. That's what the old sinner inside of us wants from us. But don't be afraid to lift it up high. Your cross is connected to his cross. Your repentance and forgiveness is bound to his crucifixion. Your repentance is bound to his death and his resurrection. His love for you is tied to your love for other people. In verse 25, then, we hear, for whoever would save his life, this word also means soul, by the way, will lose it. But whoever loses his life or his soul, for my sake, will find it. So, so trying to save one's own soul will lead to us losing it, right? And to lose one's soul for the sake of Christ leads to the soul being found, right? We don't think that way. So one way to have your soul lost from God is to try really hard to save yourself by your own genius, by your own plans, by your own wisdom, by your own efforts, by your own money, by your own good deeds. This is why Luther would write and would teach that your own good works can actually lead to drifting away from Christ. But we're not left there. Christ is the way for your soul to be found. So you can use your own genius, because you're all geniuses in one way or another. Use your own plans, use your own wisdom, but use it all in a godly way to be a blessing to other people. Use your time and your money in a godly way, but not to buy your way into heaven. You can't even rely on the way that you vote or the way that you talk to people on Twitter. You rely only on Jesus Christ. Other things are not going to earn your way to heaven. All those things can be used in a good way, in a godly way, but you cannot use them as a substitute for the only Savior. Because if you have to rely on yourself before God, that's not reassuring at all. Because right away, I'm thinking of all the mistakes that I've made. But to rely on Jesus gives a confidence and a peace that has no equal. It's rock solid. He lifts that burden from us. In verse 26, we hear, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, this whole world, all of it, this entire universe was created by God as a good place for we, us to live, a good home for us. And when he was done creating, he saw that it was all very good. And if we hadn't messed everything up, it would still be good. But as much time and effort and love and joy that he, as he put into it, this entire world and this entire universe is still less important to him than even one soul. 
This world is going to be made new again. We know that. We also know that every soul that trusts him will be made new again. Always keep in mind, Jesus did not give his life to save dirt and shrubs and clouds, but to save human souls. That's what's in first place for him. So when we put in first place the pursuit of things, we are going to have some short-term benefits for that. But all that really is minuscule compared to all the benefits that we're receiving now and will receive in eternity from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior now and forever. So Jesus was determined. He was bound to go to the cross to save human souls. What gets a soul lost is rejecting the only Savior. In verses 27 and 28, we hear, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay. We're about 2,000 years later. All those people have died. And Jesus has still not returned. So, as people have wrestled with that, they come up with a variety of answers. One, maybe one of the more popular ones, is some people have tried to explain that Jesus was just mistaken. I'm watching your faces. Okay. <laughs> we know that whoever says that is wrong, and we're thankful that they're wrong. And if I ever thought that, I would be delighted to be wrong. Jesus is never mistaken. Sometimes we are. Some people have tried to explain that Jesus was actually referring to the resurrection. So, when Jesus rose on the third day, yes, there were angels there. There were people who saw Jesus after he had risen to life. You could, I think, make an honest um, explanation that his resurrection could be considered the beginning of his kingdom. Some people have explained that Jesus was referring to the transfiguration. That is the very next section that follows in the Bible. And if you think about it, well, there were three disciples up there on the mountaintop, and they did witness Jesus talking with Elijah and with Moses about Jesus' exodus, his departure. Okay, whatever the details are, however it all turns out, the fact remains solid and undeniable that Christ is building his church on earth in people's lives. As we often say in the AFLC, and I like to say this, we believe that the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. We also hear from Martin Luther, the church is where the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed for people who trust Jesus and who repent of their sins. And also we proclaim for those who do not trust Christ and who do not repent of their sins, we have to break the bad news that their sins are still bound, that their sins are not forgiven. But it's not too late. So that much we know. And Christ calls on us 
to be ready for whenever the precise time is that he returns visibly to earth. That day is in his hands. He knows he'll do it right because he always does. For our part, we are called to get behind Jesus and follow him, not to lead him. You know, years ago, there was a friend of ours who visited us when we were living in Billings, Montana. And when it was time for him to finally, sadly, leave, he had no clue how to get out of town. It's kind of a confusing place, to be honest with you. Now, we could have tried to let him find his own way, but that wouldn't have uh, reflected well on our friendship. So, he followed us. He followed our car, and I made sure he was still back there. We led the way through all those streets and out past the edge of town onto the freeway, and he was on his way. We're called to follow Jesus, to get behind him. He knows the way. In fact, he is the way. And that's good news. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we do not have to figure out the way down here on our own. Thank you that we have Jesus. He works through Scripture. He's working through the Holy Spirit. And Father, yes, sometimes we stubbornly insist on our own way to try to lead, and we get ourselves lost, sometimes scared, sometimes bewildered. But Father, thank you that we can call out to you. And we know that rescue is close. So thank you for Jesus, for being our good shepherd, for leading us. Teach us, Father, to be humble and follow, to get behind Jesus and follow him. Follow your word, because your word is true, and in your word there is life. And someday, this will lead us straight to you. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.